Good morning, ladies and gents. It is Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. This is Blues Views with some intraday comments. Uh, just to quickly go through some of the research that we absorbed this morning. Uh, the Bear Traps Report, which I don't, if you haven't heard of it, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a great piece. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. Uh, I think it's Lawrence McDonald. He's a pretty regular CMEC correspondent. It's been around a long time. Does a really nice job. Uh, he has been very bearish uh, for the last few months. And his report today is uh, very much all bared up. But let me go through some of his. Uh, actually, before I get there, the, the, other than JP Morgan, which just continues to pound the table on stocks, uh, I don't. Look, there are plenty of uh, reasons out there to be bullish. Uh, I think that they're overwhelmingly outweighed by reasons to be cautious. Um, you know, no one's saying that anyone has to go out and actively short stocks. I mean, we're beta neutral, right? So. We're just betting on rotations within the market uh, based on the macro factors, interest rates, things like that. That being said, with the exception of JP Morgan, it's been a long time since I've seen the bulge brackets this outright bearish. Um, so that pretty much all the comments I have for you today on the research I read are bearish, but let's go through them here. Uh, so the bear traps report, um, they are referring to the big changes we've seen in bond yields globally as the elephant in the room and the uh, big tech earnings as the mouse. <laughs> it's an interesting analogy. It does make sense. I mean, people have been so fixated for so long on tech earnings um, and expecting those tech earnings to save the market. It's really, it's kind of silly. I mean, obviously these companies are, are part of the biggest, the biggest problem with these companies is their market caps. As far as I'm concerned, I don't think there's a company in the world worth $2 trillion right now, but obviously a lot of people disagree with me on that front. Anyway, looking for these few stocks, these four stocks, right? So, I mean, we're, Netflix is pretty much in a different category. I put Tesla in a different category. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, Facebook obviously has completely fallen out of the mix. So really what we're left with is Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. And I am bearish on Amazon. I love the stock. I've owned it for a long time. I love what they've done in terms of just ramping these massive and impressive economies of scale to generate enormous amounts of free cash flow. But the free cash flow story is dented. Uh, I think this, the response to earnings was just completely overdone. Uh, we did short the stock yesterday, not big, but we shorted a few shares. Uh, I think that stock probably has run out of steam to the upside. So really now what you've got is Microsoft, Apple, and Google to carry the whole tech complex. Um, and if that's your thesis, that these three stock, these three companies, which are tremendous companies with super deep competitive moats, if you expect these three stocks to carry the entire market higher, it's just, that's a tough sell. Um, and unfortunately, there are a ton of people out there, mostly newer traders, um, the, the retail deep out of the money call buying on every dip type trader, uh, that that's exactly what they're doing. They just continue to double down and double down on the same bet. Uh, anyway, moving on here. Um, Bear Traps report pointing out that inflation, uh, they believe, is much more sustainable than central banks have admitted. That's not unusual for central banks. I mean, central banks, their, their number one job, I mean, yes, they're supposed to try to, with the case of the Fed, maximum employment, price stability. But at the end of the day, too, it's to inspire confidence, to not scare people. So it's not surprising that, uh, you know, the Fed uh, and the ECB have been slow to kind of admit that, hey, 
this is a little bit different this time. We miscalculated. Inflation has gone way beyond what we thought it would. And hey, it probably will be a little stickier than everyone hopes. Um, we've talked about this ad nauseum the last few days. Owner's equivalent rent, wages. There are these elements uh, that are just really starting to kick in in earnest. Um, and we all need to be aware of that. Um, let's see. They believe that the impact on asset prices of these big changes in, in the bond market have just begun. Uh, credit risk, we've pointed out many times the last few days, uh, actually even further than that, going back to last Thursday. These moves in uh, HYG and LQD, the moves in credit default swaps, they have been significant and they have been scary. And the fact that equities have barely responded. I mean, when you see a disconnect like that, it should give you pause, regardless of whether you're a bull or a bear. You know, from the bullish point of view, you're looking at this saying, hey, like the market's not really scared by this. Stocks can handle this. This is bullish. Okay. There's some certain, certainly some logic there. On the other hand, it's like, wait a minute. This is what started to happen several times over the last few years. December 2018, March 2020, we saw these explosions in credit default swaps and the market tanked pretty quickly. We're not seeing that happen this time. There's been, if at the very least, there's been a delay in the response in risk assets. So we will continue to watch and see what goes down there. Um, you know, watching HYG in particular, um, it has found a little bit of a bid. Came on, it's well off its lows from yesterday. There's a pretty big gap to fill on the chart. So I wouldn't be too surprised if that thing just kind of chops sideways for a while. But the moves that we've seen the last three or four sessions are significant. And while they may take some time to consolidate a bit and chop sideways and maybe even rebound a little, attention must be paid. It would be unusual in my view if this was the end of the credit tantrum. Um, I think if I think what we're probably seeing here uh, is uh, a deep breath before the next plunge. Uh, going back to the bear traps report, you're pointing out that the Atlanta GDP tracker is now basically at 0%. So, I mean, we are with inflation, many parts of inflation still accelerating and growth really slowing. We are in a stagflationary environment. Uh, that is not what anyone wants to be in. Uh, it certainly is a big part of the bear call for stocks and for risk assets in general. Um, I think a lot of people have been just assuming, a lot of people were calling for a Goldilocks environment uh, in the first half of the year, which... Obviously, I disagreed with it strongly. I think that's pretty much out the window now. The question now kind of becomes, are we in deflation or stagflation by the middle of the year? So we shall see. Earnings momentum rolling over. We've talked about that as well. Um, obviously, we had just a long stretch of strong upwards earnings revisions uh, in terms of the you know, consensus estimates. That seems to have peaked. I think we're going to see downside to those earnings revisions as the year progresses here. Uh, they think that the bear market is upon us. It has begun. I do tend to agree. I think they're a little bit more bearish than I am. Um, I'm not sure what their kind of red lines are for, for credit and stocks. Ours remain 80 on HYG. We're actually lifting our red line on LQD up to 115. That's like the middle of the gap back from March 2020. I think that's probably a better number to work with. And then on the S&P, you think 3,500 is kind of the red line for the Fed there. So again, these red lines uh, applying to what levels would we have to see in these key indicators for the Fed to really want to back off? And I think that we remain way, uh, uh, well away, <laughs> let me rephrase, we remain far away from those levels. So at this point, I think any notion that the Fed is having second thoughts, 
is complete garbage. It's just garbage. I'm sorry. We can have a debate about whether they're going to go 50 or 25 in March. We can have a debate about whether they're going to hike two or three times or six or seven times. But this notion that the Fed is already looking for an exit is complete baloney. All right, moving on to Goldman Sachs, their chief economist who has turned more and more bearish over the last six six weeks. He he really does a very nice job, I must say. Um, you know, he he's one of those guys who he understands his role, which is not to scare anyone, just to relay the data. He probably is always looking for the silver lining, but his analysis has gotten more, I would just say, more bearish uh, pretty much every week over the last six or seven weeks. Um, and here's what he has to say. He's pointing out the huge wage in, wage uh, inflation increases we saw in the jobs report. He reiterates that he thinks the Fed is going to have to hike aggressively and probably front load them. Uh, he points out that the market still expects wages uh, and other price increases to back off later in the year. Of course, they're going to back off. You know, the math just gets too difficult starting in Q2. The comps get too hard. We are going to see deceleration and in inflation. That's the whole second derivative argument, right? When we talk about the GIP model, the growth inflation policy model, uh, Hedgeye calls them the quads. It only looks at the second derivative. Are we decelerating or are we accelerating? I think in this case, we have to take it a step further and talk about the third derivative. How quickly will inflation decelerate? I don't really think that it's going to decelerate anywhere near as quickly as many of the bulls seem to hope it will. Some of the elements that are just really starting to accelerate in earnest are very sticky. Wage inflation is, is the stickiest form of inflation of all. Shelter inflation, very sticky as well. Uh, not nearly as sticky as wages, but it is sticky and it's just starting to kick in. Uh, so moving down the list of bullet points here, uh, they do expect the uh, Goldman Sachs again, they expect the labor supply to increase as the year goes on. That makes sense. We have slowing growth. We're probably going to see a reduction in, in the JOLTS data. Um, we're probably going to see a, a, an organic increase in the participation rate. Uh, you've got, I don't know how many new day traders uh, were minted during the pandemic, but I would imagine that there probably are, you know, several hundred thousand. Uh, some of them uh, have been in a world of pain so far this year. I, I've talked to a few that I know back in San Diego who, you know, made a ton of money buying deep out of the money calls and tech stocks. And they've all given back anywhere from a third to two thirds of their money so far. So that is something to keep in mind that there probably will be some of those newer traders looking for full time jobs again. Um, we, we all went through this when we started trading. We did dumb things. We used too much leverage. We were impatient and we got punished for it. You know, every good trader in history has blown a, a bankroll or two. So they're going through this now. Their dreams of dr trading full time. Are, are kind of bursting before their eyes. And it's it's certainly not something to, uh, you know, relish by any means. It's, it's something to have empathy over because we've all been there. We've all done the same thing. But as far as it's uh, the impact on the labor supply, it, it should help. It should uh, decrease, um, excuse me, increase the number of available workers for some of these jobs. Um, they expect a modest deceleration in wage growth. But they note that even if we do get that modest deceleration in wage growth, it's still going to keep PCE well above the Fed's 2% target. My, I, I've maintained now for several weeks that the Fed is, I think the Fed has pretty much already thrown the 2% target out the window. I think they're probably more likely to just throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what, everybody, you're going to need to live with 3% for a little while. 
We've spoken before about the possibility that we go from a stickier, higher for longer inflation into a heavy deflationary environment. There are some big names making a call right along those lines. Uh, certainly, no one wants to see that happen, but it's not hard to make the case for it. Uh, higher for longer inflation with a Fed that is behind and trying to catch up and at high risk of a policy mistake puts us in a situation where they could go too far too fast, break something, and we go straight into a deflationary bust. Um, they, they point out that, and this is Goldman Sachs again, the market is currently expecting Fed funds to get to about 1.75%. They think it's going higher. They think it actually is going to go north of 2%. Uh, so uh, just in general, really hawkish comments from Jan Hatzius, who is the, the, the chief economist at Goldman Sachs. They think that 725 basis point hikes are on the table this year. They are not uh, a big proponent of 50 basis point moves. I still think that we probably will get 50 as long as oil remains buoyant, commodities in general remain buoyant. We'll obviously see how the CPI data comes out. I, I should touch on that real quick too. So there are some changes being made to how to the base uh, the base effects of the CPI data. Um, they'd make this change every year. So it's not like there's some conspiracy or shenanigans going on here, but there will be a bigger shift in terms of the, the, the calculated base or the base off of which the calculations take place, uh, it'll be a bigger shift to goods out of services. So commodities, raw commodity inputs are going to become more important than ever for predicting CPI. Um, it's very hard for me to see a weak number, um, especially this is the January number uh, or the number based on the January data. Um, we had Omicron in full effect there. It's hard for me to see uh, a truly weak number. But, you know, we'll see. It, there definitely seem to be some people out there betting on a weak number. And if we do get a weak number, our short tech, long everything else trade is probably going to get hammered. So we will be prepared to be very, very nimble hedging our exposure into that number on Thursday. Uh, the last point from Goldman Sachs, um, the just the broad wage and price increases across all developed markets suggest that growth needs to slow and financial conditions need to tighten. Okay. I mean, we all kind of knew that already, but when you hear a bulge bracket, especially uh, the economic acts out there really for the entire world saying something like that, it hammers the point home. Uh, interesting little piece from Credit Agricoli out today, which I don't see too much from them. Uh, just two quick bullet points. Uh, they are looking for a massive increase in inflation. And I quote, massive, that was the word they used. They're talking about the Eurozone there. Uh, so we all kind of know that the ECB is screwed, that Europe is in trouble, that they're in a long-term deflationary spiral. They have demographic issues, et cetera, et cetera. His point simply is that this year, at least the first half of the year, I, actually, I don't think the ECB is even getting ready to hike until later in the year. But they expect inflation to continue to be a major headline problem for the balance of the year. Uh, they think inflation jitters in the Eurozone will remain firmly entrenched until mid-year. A uh, couple of quick pieces on technicals from Credit Suisse. They do a nice job. They break it out by asset class. So on the equity side, um, they're looking for a fresh swing lower in the S&P 500. I think they're probably right about that. They think it breaks back below the 200 day back out of that price channel that we've highlighted so many times. They look at the NASDAQ also fresh leg lower. They don't really specify a downside target, but obviously 
uh, anyone who's who's followed Blue Shirt Plus, uh, the Twitter account, anyone who's, list, who's listened to these podcasts knows that we're looking for a trip down to that megaphone top, which comes in around 13,300, 13,400. Um, I think that's a very attainable target. They see the Russell 2000 testing 1,900. You know, we're long the S&P 600 ETF, uh, which obviously is highly correlated with the Russell 2000 ETF. Um, the S&P 600 is a higher quality index. I hope they're wrong about this, uh, but it, I I tend to think that small and mid caps are probably closer to a bottom than the S&P and NASDAQ are. We shall see. Obviously, growth, uh, growth concerns hit small caps and mid caps harder, but there is a lot of, of GARP in there. There's a lot of um, you know growth at a reasonable price. It's not just tech stocks that offer growth. Okay, there's a lot of different places to look for it. And I think as the economy slows, people are going to warm up more and more to high quality, small and mid caps. So we'll see how that goes. But they definitely are looking for another leg down here in the Russell as well. They think that the euro stocks uh, correction, uh, euro stocks 50 or 60, I forget. Uh, they think the worst may be over there. They're actually sound kind of sounded kind of bullish on it. So we are along the IEUR ETF uh, in the tracking account. Um, and I like that position a lot. Obviously, we have. Um, some danger signs showing up in, in Italy and Greece and some of those, you know, those pigs countries with bond yields going vertical. It's something to watch for sure. The, the, in the IEUR ETF, most of the weight is on Germany and France. Uh, those two countries are in a much more stable position uh, than their neighbors to the south. Um, I like the position, especially against mega cap tech in the U.S. Uh, on the fixed income side, just a couple of highlights from their note there. Uh, they're looking for another 20 to 30 basis points higher in the 10-year real yield, the U.S. 10-year real yield. That meshes perfectly with our view on where the five-year real yield is heading. Uh, it's currently at about negative 27 basis points. I think it's probably going to zero uh, at some point here in the next few months. We will keep an eye on it. So they they see rates, real rates and nominal rates going higher. Their target for the U.S. two-year nominal yield is 150. That's quite a ways away from where we are now. We are currently at, actually, I guess it's not that far anymore. We're at 133. So we've got, and remember, you know, uh, a, a one to two basis point move in the two-year is, is a fairly, you know, I wouldn't say it's a significant move uh, from day to day, but it's, it's a normal move. And we've had huge moves in the two-year, uh, not just in the U.S., but globally. Uh, so this has been a big move. They see it continuing. 17 more basis points to go. The 10-year, they have it going to 215. I think that's probably spot on. Uh, I know a lot of smart people are getting all bowled up on duration. If we're going into quad four or you know a deceleratory uh, environment for both inflation and growth, then yes, treasuries are probably a great place to park some money. But I think there is a tendency uh, to be too clever by half. Uh, I think there's a tendency to be early on these things. If you're a longer term minded person, yeah, probably not a bad time to, to put some money in some treasuries. I'm going to wait until the 10 year breaks above 2% uh, to start putting some money to work on that front. Um, that's pretty much it for today. Sorry, we went a, long, a little longer than we usually do, but we will talk to you again tomorrow.